I'm Katherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. Tears of Eden, a nonprofit supporting survivors of spiritual abuse from the evangelical community and home of the Uncertain podcast, is hosting its first in-person retreat con October 20th through 22nd. This retreat con will have the intimacy of a retreat with the intentionality of a conference. In partnership with the I Got Out movement, the retreat con will also feature a special event story jam highlighting survivor stories live and in person. Registration is currently open and spots are limited. Sign up with a link in the show notes. This podcast and the work of Tears of Eden are supported by the generosity of listeners like you. If you'd like to see the work of Tears of Eden continue, consider giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly supporter. You can do that by visiting tearsofeden.org support. You can also support the podcast by rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. In this episode with Rebecca Davis, we unpack the teachings that are used in churches to make all sins equal, force us to err on the side of grace when it comes to abuse, elevate loyalty above all else, and much more. Content warning for this episode as we do read a few verses to demonstrate how they are misused in churches. So please be mindful if you find scripture activating. Here is my interview with Rebecca Davis. I read one of your books a few years ago. The one on it is the patriarchy and authority one. Yeah, number two. Yeah, yes. so that one is kind of like targeting the world that I grew up in, which was the Christian mm-hmm. patriarch movement and yes, yes. daughter world. So that was, I remember reading it and I was like, so like when I was like in that world, I remember I was very intellectual and was like really trying to like approach like how to break down. I knew something was wrong, but I was like trying to like break it down with like scripture. And at the time it was kind of like, if I can present this really well-reasoned argument to my parents, then like, everybody will get it. Yeah. And they'll all... <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Isn't that, isn't that what we all think at the beginning? <laughs> isn't that what we all think? Exactly. <laughs> but now I know my father is an abuser. My mother is an abuse enabler, like no well-reasoned argument will, will yeah. suffice. And that's kind of the conclusion that I came to in the middle of that was like, like, no matter what I say, like my dad wants to believe this. And so he's going to believe this no matter what you say to him. But for me, the book would have been like very, very helpful. And just like, this is what this world is doing this is I felt like I wrote that book about 10 years later than it should have been written Mm -hmm. and I kept arguing with the Lord about that because I was saying what in the world why didn't you tell me about all this like 10 years ago right right it came out out only that one came out I think it was only a year and a half ago okay well then maybe that was when I first found it um early 2021 Mm -hmm. about february or so of 2021 so that's only a year and a half my first one came out in 2016 but then it was a there was a gap and Mm -hmm. so i started now i'm cranking them out one a year okay yeah that's awesome yeah that one would have just been it would have been really great but it was also like at that time there were no resources whatsoever and now there's more of us like sharing our stories openly and talking mm-hmm. about it but it's still it's still going strong like that movement is still alive and well and going strong so i it's going to be very timely for a lot of 
people still. And so then now we have this new one, which is the Untwisting Scriptures, and it's focused on wolves, hypocrisy, sin leveling, and righteousness. Yes, that's number four. Boom, boom, boom. And that's the one that I was I was going to talk to you about. And like all three, all four of those things. So I grew up in a cult and then 10 years later ended up in a, a spiritually abusive church that was more like more common, more of what you're commonly going to see in like the mainstream evangelicalism and like all of those things, hypocrisy, sin leveling, righteousness. Like I was like, oh, all of those things, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> everything in the book. I was like, yep, everything, all of it happened exactly as as is. So I'm really excited to talk to you about it and just to start out what inspired you to start writing these books, this Untwisting Scripture series. In 2012, I met a sexual abuse survivor out of the church. It was fundamentalism, independent Baptist fundamentalism. That that was my background. That was her background. And we were in the middle of the Bob Jones University that was being raised on social media and Bob Jones University was going to be investigated by the organization Grace, Godly Response to Abuse in a Christian Environment. And so lots of people were talking about it on social media. And if you also remember, this was 2012. It's when Facebook was maybe a little cleaner. There wasn't as much awfulness on Facebook Mm -hmm. 10 years ago. And so there was a lot of discussion. And she asked me, to please read the blogs and Facebook pages to help me understand. And I said, I'm on it. I started reading and understanding because I didn't have any understanding really Mm -hmm. at all. I didn't understand about flashbacks, dissociation. I didn't understand why sexual abuse caused such extreme responses in people, but I wanted to understand. Mm -hmm. So I went on a very steep learning curve. I read everything she told me to read. I had already understood or or I already was involved in domestic abuse but there was kind of a a separation between domestic abuse and sexual abuse in my education mm-hmm. because I'd been walking with a friend through a domestic abuse situation and it was terrible and I learned a lot but then the sexual abuse was like a almost like a different animal because it involved different things that I really wasn't familiar with with mm-hmm. all of my se- domestic abuse education so that started that education. But one of the one of the things that incensed me so much was that I was starting to hear in a way I hadn't heard with my domestically abused friend. I was starting to really hear how the scriptures were being used. And for one thing, I remember very clearly this woman being on the floor in a fetal position saying they said we were living sacrifices. They said we were living sacrifices. And I'm going... For one thing, I didn't understand what was happening. Right. And I didn't understand who they was, and I didn't understand who we were, mm-hmm. but I knew what Romans 12, 2 said, mm-hmm. and I knew it wasn't what, what she was talking about. I, I just, I was so horrified. Mm-hmm. And then in 2014, when I was speaking out a lot on social media about Bob Jones University and how they mishandled cases of sexual abuse very, very extremely badly, people were responding to me. And they were responding to me with scriptures out of context and illogical arguments. And so that was my, my big wake up 
where I was going, wow, Christians really don't know the Bible. Mm -hmm. And Christians aren't thinking logically, or at least this world mm -hmm. of Christians. And that began where I was, I, I began to blog about these things. One Another thing this woman told me was, they said, I think her parents said, I had to give up all my rights. Yeah. And I was thinking, that teaching is vaguely familiar. Mm -hmm. And and yet, how horrible that, that there's this application of it. It's the first time I had understood the application of abuse to this teaching, give up your rights. And 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 I remember later, oh, yeah, that was Bill Gothard. And I was a Bill Gothard aficionado way back in the day. Mm -hmm. uh, so that got that ball rolling. I saw how Christians were accused of being bitter. And I thought, it, in order to shut them up, and I thought, right. that's not that's not God. Mm -hmm. That's not from God. What? And this was one thing I didn't quite have in my mind. I didn't quite know what is bitterness because I hadn't ever studied it, but mm -hmm. I thought, I'll betcha it's not what these people are talking about. Right. And so that's when I undertook a study of the concept of bitterness all the way through the scriptures. Every time it was used in the Hebrew or in the Greek, it was a great, huge study. I didn't exactly know where I was going to be landing with it mm -hmm. because I hadn't studied it before. And I couldn't find anybody else who had explained it. And I looked. Right. I also couldn't find anybody else who had explained the concept of, of rights and how giving up your rights is wrong. According to the scripture, there were plenty of people talking about how giving up your rights is wrong and leads to abuse or, or that teaching. But I didn't see anybody going back to the Bible with it. Mm -hmm. So I started doing both of those things, the bitterness and the rights, and then also the taking up offenses, blogging it on a blog called BJU Grace, which was a, specifically about the Bob Jones University situation. And that's a dormant blog now. I still, I keep paying for it every year, so yes. it can still be out there, but it doesn't get written on anymore. But then I did some of that on my own website later. Here's the joy but here's the joy. My little blog was a little devotional blog. Mm -hmm. I was just, it wasn't supposed to be controversial. I was mm -hmm. just talking about the Lord and the scriptures and, you know, what Jesus means to us and so forth. And as I was being pulled into this world of abuse more and more, because the more I spoke on social media, the more pushback I got, the more I responded to that pushback, the more people started speaking to me and mm -hmm. telling me their story. So mm -hmm. I was I was a little bit overwhelmed at first, especially because I was so, I really knew the scriptures, but I really did not know the world of abuse. It was very, very new to me. And so I was, I was scrambling to learn, reading the things. Anybody, anytime people said, well, read this, read this. I was doing it so I could learn. And try and watching videos, trying to understand, watching testimonials, and so forth. So, so I was on a steep learning curve in in that realm mm -hmm. to become what the term I later learned was trauma informed. But I was also trying to apply the scriptures to it. This finally eventually led to the first book, but be the first untwisting scriptures book, which is the one with the woman on the chair. This is yes. the one that yes. it was 20, 2016. And it addressed rights, giving up your rights, Nancy Lita Moss and Gothard, of course, and some <laughs> others, and and bitterness and taking up offenses. But before that, 
I worked with a pastor on his book about sexual abuse in the church and another pastor on his book about domestic abuse in the church. One, the first one was called Tear Down This Wall of Silence with Dale Ingram. He was he and his wife, Faith, have a ministry to to try to educate churches. More power to them. I hope they can. But <laughs> but but I helped him with his book because I was an author. I was already an author. I wrote nonfiction for children, missionary biographies and so forth. And then I wrote Unholy, I co-wrote, co- collaborated with Jeff Crippen on Unholy Charade, Unmasking the Domestic Abuser in the Church. So I'd already done a book about sexual abuse in the church, already done a book about domestic abuse in the church. And then I wrote my first Untwisting Scriptures book. So that's the long story about how I kind of stumbled into this work. It wasn't really like, oh, I'm going to do this thing. It was like I kept seeing mm-hmm. another need. And mm-hmm. I even looked to say, where is somebody handling this stuff? And I was mm-hmm. searching on the internet and really could not find it. I don't know if this is a, a speculative question, but would you say that that there are people in the church context who are like deliberately twisting the scripture on purpose? Would that be an assessment that you would make? As you say, that's speculative. So... I won't make a definitive statement about that. However, in my most recent book, I do talk about wolves. And I also said in an interview I had just the other day, in another podcast, they asked me a similar question. And I said, if I wanted to have a cult, to be the head of a cult, what I would do is find pieces of scriptures out of context and tweak, tweaked teachings that aren't really scripture, but I can pretend that they are. To make people think that they can't point the fingers at anyone else. They can only look at their own sin. To make them feel like they really can't understand the scriptures except through me. Mm-hmm. And to teach authority in that not God being our authority. I mean, yeah, sure, in theory. But really, me. Mm-hmm. I'm the authority and you have to obey me. So those are some things I would do to make sure my cult stayed in stayed inside the box that I mm-hmm. that I make for them, that they give their money to me, that they give their allegiance to me, that that I get to be in complete control. That's what I would do. So sure, there have always been people who do that that kind of thing. When I guest posted for Leslie Vernick five years ago in 2017, the only time I've guest posted for Leslie Furnick, and I'm very proud of it. I talked about predators and what what I called possums, and I took that term from Jim Wilder, mm-hmm. who teaches about some of these things and the the, the targets. And there are, there are always going to be predators of some sort. Either they will be the ones who are doing the teaching, or they will be under the enabling, let's say, umbrella. Mm-hmm. The enabling umbrella of the teaching that lets them carry on their predatory work, their predatory right. behavior. Right, right. Yeah. Cool. I love it. Thank you for <laughs> sharing how you would do it. So, so I go, I go, I kind of go around the bush a little bit with that. that this is what thing. I, 
If I was a cult leader, this is what I would do. I, I love it. Thank you. Thank you for, for sharing. I would love to just like dive into some of the stuff in your your most recent book, just because I just saw so many of those things happen in the spiritually abusive church that I, I worked for. And first question is, how have you seen teaching on prodigal son be problematic? Prodigal brother. So there's a chapter... <laughs> In this book called, Are You the Prodigal Son or the Older Brother? The prodigal son, for for, briefly, for people who aren't familiar with the story, Jesus told the story about a good father who had two sons. One son says, give me all my inheritance now. And the father does. And he goes off and spends it in in profligacy. Mm -hmm. He's He's a profligate prodigal. And then the other son stays home and works. And the prodigal son spends everything, ends up feeding pigs and says, I need to go home to my father because he, I can at least be a servant for him because he's good to his servants. So he goes home, father embraces him, gives him the best robe and has a feast to welcome him home. The older brother says, why didn't you do this for me? And the father said, but everything I have is yours. And that's where the story ends. And so the prodigal son the one who was rebellious and repents. The older brother is the one who was self-righteous. And we don't know if he repents or not because the story ends. But in many teachings, Christians are told you are either one or the other. Mm-hmm. You have like, like there, there aren't any other categories. You're either in the category of rebellious prodigal or self-righteous older brother. Which one are you? And you have to pick. And so I do ask that question in that chapter, which one are you? And then I say, that's called a false dilemma because there are really other choices. You don't have to be either one. We can pretend, or or pretend is not the right word. We can imagine the rest of the story. The prodigal son comes into a relationship with his father. The older brother says, yes, father, I'm so sorry. I was self-righteous. I want to come into relationship with you. And Jesus was actually telling a story about the Gentiles and the Jews. The Gentiles are the ones far off from the father, and that's made very clear in the book of Galatians, the the self-righteous older brother are the Jews who are in the father's house in a way and working hard or pretending they're working hard anyway, and thinking that because they're the Jews, they're obviously in God's good graces. And Jesus is inviting both of them into relationship. So when we can think beyond the parable to say, what, what, point is Jesus driving to? He's driving to the importance of relationship. Come into relationship, whether you're a rebellious prodigal or a self-righteous older brother, come into relationship with me. Let's imagine the rest of that story. And that's where we can be. We can be in relationship with him, enjoying his presence. He can enjoy being Mm -hmm. with us. He is so glad to be with you. And that is beautiful news. So this is where I would love for people to expand their thinking. A lot of what I do is asking people to to get outside the box of what they yeah. were taught. Let's let's see, is that box essential or can we open the box and see what else is available? Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. And even just asking the question, like, is the way that I was taught this a helpful, <laughs> a helpful thing? Yes, I've actually had people write to me which I love and say, Rebecca, for the first time, I'm actually trying to listen critically 
or or read critically instead of just believing whatever I read mm -hmm. or believing whatever I hear. I'm trying to think, is that really what the Bible says? Mm -hmm. And I think, yes, this is this is what I want. I want people to take what they hear, take what they read from other people and compare it to the scriptures. Is this really what the scriptures says? Is this really what the scriptures say in context, in the context of that local verse and in the context of the whole Bible, mm -hmm. understanding the bigger story? And that's the podcast that we are doing this interview for is called Uncertain. And the name is like, it really is about just like asking questions. Like we're not always going and, and holding very loosely, like, finding the answer isn't always the solution. It's like just asking the question about these things that we have been taught that we were taught were so certain. And like, yes. this is so true. Like, let's just ask a question and just see where it leads. So I love that. That's awesome. I am also would love to hear how you have seen on the, the worst sinner being used to silence victims. Mm -hmm. I'm the worst sinner I know it was a teaching that was really propagated by C.J. Mahaney, who was the head of Sovereign Grace Ministries. Now, if we had been doing this podcast 10 years ago, mm -hmm. probably everybody in the evangelical world would know what I'm talking about nowadays. Maybe they don't because right. now he has fallen from his high pinnacle he's still certainly pastoring but it's just a smaller much smaller sphere for him mm -hmm. but there was a time when he was the big conference speaker on the evangelical conference circuit he was a big book writer and super super popular so one of the things i talked about in the introduction to this book was that some of the teachers i talk about in this right. book have fallen mm -hmm. and their, their teaching was so powerful and usually just because of a scandal mm -hmm. and so people might think well talking about this person isn't pertinent anymore but my point is even and the analogy i used was even when the scaffolding falls often a, the building is still there so i have had people write to me and say, I didn't realize how much this teaching by this, mm -hmm. this now out of favor teacher was still in my thinking. So Absolutely. thank you for bringing it forward. So this, you're the worst sinner, you know, I'm the worst sinner. I know this teaching was from him 10, 15 years ago, and it has carried through. I've seen it carry through in churches, in teachings, and it's still being used against victims, even though people may not know where the teaching comes from. Well, it is, it is taught that the teaching comes from 1 Timothy, I'm pulling it up, 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. I'm going to read it to you. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now, the argument goes, if Paul, the Apostle Paul, called himself the worst of sinners, then if we don't also call ourselves the worst of sinners, then we're obviously arrogant, proud. So we have to call ourselves the worst of sinners. So in this chapter, 
I point out that the translation I just read is the New International Version and that the word, one single word in Greek that new, the NIV translates worst of sinners does not mean that at all. I mm. go on to explain what that word is, how it's used in other places in the Bible, how it's very clear it is never used like that anywhere else in the Bible or in any other literature, I might add. And then to explain what it actually means and how it applied to Paul and how this worst of sinners then does not apply. It's just like it's not even a thing to talk about at all. So I'm not going to go into all that because it's in the book and people can read the book. But once I uncouple that teaching from that verse, so there is no now no biblical basis for that. I'm the worst sinner I know teaching, none. Then I talk about, or maybe maybe I did it before. I don't remember what order I did it in, but I talked about <laughs> how this is used against people, that you cannot speak out about the abuse you experienced. You cannot speak out about abuse in general or about what someone, a friend of yours or, or a loved one of yours has experienced because who are you mm -hmm. to be talking about these things because you're the worst sinner you know. Mm -hmm. And I also go on to make the point of the incredible hypocrisy I see when teachings like this are used because the people who start the teaching and use that teaching and CJ Mahaney would get up in front of in front of crowds and say, I'm CJ Mahaney and I'm the worst sinner I know. Oh, so humble. Oh, so when, oh yes. <laughs> and proving proving how humble he was by saying that mm -hmm. and when the scandal came down which was a lawsuit against him for abuse in his sovereign grace ministries churches when the scandal came against him and he ran away literally and was supported in his running away by another friend pastor who said people should never run away when that happened, he said, well, my sins were just normal and common. Mm -hmm. So we see by his own words and his own actions, how very hypocritical he was, that he could say those words, but he didn't really mean them, didn't really believe them. So if we, if we, the sensitive Christians, the ones who love Jesus, the ones who want to do right, the ones who want to follow the Lord, if we are crippled by this teaching, thinking it's a biblical teaching. I'm the worst sinner I know, so I can't talk about anybody's <laughs> sin. I can't talk about the sex trafficking going on in the church, which mm -hmm. I personally do know about. I am aware of it. I can't talk about that because I'm the worst sinner I know because I took yeah. chocolate chips out of the cabinet when I told my children not to eat candy. I used to be very crippled by that hypocrisy of mine. And it was hypocrisy, but it was like, <laughs> hypocrisy. and that makes you the worst sinner. Chocolate yes. chips, chocolate chips. <laughs> so anyway, I, all of that, I'm making a biblical and reasonable, logical case. Those two things have to go together. We have to use the Bible and mm -hmm. we have to have logic and reason to put together mm -hmm. to understand what's going on. 
And in the process of understanding the scriptures, we don't want to just like this was just one Bible verse that that was misused, horribly misused to understand the entire life of Paul. Mm -hmm. Did Paul actually see himself as the worst sinner? Was he crippled from speaking out about anybody else's sin? Was he untrue? Good, no, good point. Good point. <laughs> so all of these things go into the understanding that we're talking about here. Yeah, I resonated with that part because I remember you tell the story in the book about like as as if if people like say that, then they they've got this like presentation of like they're so humble, and then people turn to the victim and they're like, "Well, where's your humility? Like, where's your?" Yes you know, where is that? And I remember with the, one of the abusive people that I, that was my boss at the abusive church in California. And I remember just like being in when things kind of surfaced and came to a head and, and they would have us in the room with these like mediation, you know, kind of like conflict resolution thing. And he would just be like, you know, I am, you know, yeah, I, I really could be a better leader. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I really haven't been a very good leader. And he's like, oh, so humble. Like putting on this like very humble posture, never specifically uh, naming anything, but just like kind of like creating this image and then people would turn to me and they would be like, Catherine, do you accept his apology? I'm like, did I miss it? Like, <laughs> where was it? Like, what, what did he apologize for? Like, there was no, like, but he would just do this, like, very just like humble, like, oh yeah, I really, I really have failed. I haven't been a good leader. Just like very like generic And then it was like expected that I should have that same posture Um, and that I was like the, you know, disgruntled bitch because I was like, wait a second. (laughs) And that, that theme right there with slight variations here and there, that theme runs through all of this abusive teaching, abusive behavior. And some abusers, I won't say this about that pastor in particular, since I don't know, but some abusers are very skilled mm-hmm. at the behavior, whatever behavior is needed at the moment to get them out of trouble. Yep. Very, very skilled at it. Yep. And it's, it's, I would say sociopathic behavior, but, but whatever label is put on it isn't as important as recognizing it and being able to, to see it clearly and see how it doesn't fit with what the scriptures say and what God calls us, calls of us. Right. You may already know this, but the Uncertain Podcast is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden, a nonprofit that serves as a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. This podcast and the work of Tears of Eden are supported by donations from generous listeners like you. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider giving a donation by using the link in the show notes or visiting tearsofeden.org support. You can also support the podcast by rating and leaving a review and sharing on social media. If you're not already following us, please follow us on Facebook at Tears of Eden and Instagram at Uncertain Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And now back to the show. And this leads into my next question, which is about sin leveling and like putting every sin on the same, in the same category, same level, how have you seen that be problematic in these abuse situations? Yes. Well, as pretty much just from what you just said, I think probably everybody can see how that's going to be problematic. My original subtitle for this book was righteousness and wickedness, 
but I was afraid that would be too boring. So I chose this new subtitle, Wolves, Hypocrisy, Sin Leveling, and Righteousness, so that hopefully people could see something in that subtitle that would draw their interest because I do address all of these things. Mm -hmm. Now, sin leveling was a relatively new term to me in the past couple of years, but the concept was not new at all. 10 years ago, I blogged about this issue and I just called it treating all sins as if they're equal, which Mm -hmm. is way too many words. And so sin leveling Mm -hmm. was a nice term to keep it shorter. And we see it all the time. In fact, it gets flipped on its head to say, if you do not forgive your rapist, pedophile, trafficker, abuser, if you do not forgive, then your sin of unforgiveness is actually not just as bad as, but it's actually worse mm-hmm. than what the abuser did to you. So there are some scriptures that are used for sin leveling. And I tried to look up all the ones that people use and address every single one. Some of them, like this worst sinner, it actually got two chapters. Some others got a full chapter. Some others just got mentioned in a list in the sin leveling chapter. but of course, sin leveling is used to say your so-called bitterness in your heart against your abuser is just as bad as what the abuser did to you. And this is so confusing to people. Absolutely. So confusing because then scriptures are trotted out to them to be presented to them. And they say, well, it does look like this is what God says. And some people say, if God is like that, that's it for me. I'm yep. done. Mm-hmm. I I will not take a God like that, a God who is that unjust. This is a huge part of my own heart for what I'm doing. I want to reach people who think that's God when it's not. And my one of my taglines is the real Jesus is not like that. I want to bring out all these scriptures, talk about what do they really mean? And then there are other scriptures who make it that that make it very clear that some sins are worse than others. What mm-hmm. about those scriptures? So I bring those out too, and we address all of those because it is it is absolutely used to keep the abused in a place of silence and submission to abuse. And that is wrong. Would you say the question to ask is not necessarily, is this sin worse than this sin, but rather, is this teaching being used to shut someone down? Of course, teaching is what I address. That's my niche. Other people expose the sins. Some people are doing a Herculean job of it, but my job. I I feel like is to address those teachings and absolutely teachings are being used to shut people down. And I, I would like it if we could get beyond saying, well, one sin is worse than another or all sins are equal, but just to say, Hey, there is wickedness in the church. There's evil in the church. There's darkness in the church. And the Bible says, and I've made this case in some of my other books, root that out get that out of the church. And it's not talking about the person who has bitterness. It's talking mm-hmm. about the the poisoners within the body of Christ, get them out of the church. And that's not being done. Mm-hmm. 
I addressed the sin leveling topic simply because it's used against people to shut them down, not because I want to try to to rank sins. Right. I don't think I can. I don't think I could do that sufficiently. God can do that. And I believe he does. But that's not my job. And that can cause just this very confusing loop if it's like, oh, is this worse than this one? Is this 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 worse? And then what about that? You know, and and then what makes it worse? And then why? You know, all right. So judges do have to do that in the courtroom. If somebody kills somebody else, they have to decide, is this first degree murder? Is this manslaughter? Manslaughter. What kind of Mm -hmm. homicide is this? They have to make those determinations, judge and jury. So it is an important question in our legal system, absolutely, in order to have justice in the legal system. And I do make the case that, or do my best to make the case that if you're going to have a just legal system, then these things have to be considered. Like, was this a child who molested another child? So Mm -hmm. he was ignorant about what he did. Or was it a 35-year-old man? You know, those things make a huge difference, huge difference in in what we're looking at for appropriate action. Mm-hmm. But all of those things have to be determined, and they should be determined with, with prayer and seeking the Lord instead of just shutting people down mm-hmm. and saying, we don't want to hurt the testimony of Christ. There's that one. Right. (laughs) Fun times, fun times. How have you seen sermons about sheep contribute to building a culture of abuse? That's, is that chapter two or three, or it's early on in the book. Mm -hmm. And I called it nothing like the sheep sermon to make you feel stupid, disgusting, and useless. Mm -hmm. I had a good time with that one (laughs) because I had just gotten back from hearing that sermon in church and I was so ready to write about it. And it was at a church where I knew nobody would ever read my blog because it was not in my circles. And I was reminded when I heard that sermon, how much I had heard some variation of that sermon growing up, how dumb sheep are and they can't figure out anything on their own. How uh, this man spoke about how disgusting sheep are. And then the sheep's going to have to get its leg broken in order to not wander away. Whoa. Whoa. And that's not even in the Bible anywhere. So my, the point I made was you are made by, by this sermon, which I had heard it so many times, some variation of it, that I figured a good bit of my audience had. And it, and it did resonate with quite a few people. Now, I don't know if this is just fundamentalism or what, mm-hmm. but that was my background. But as sheep, as people being called sheep, he, the preacher, made us feel disgusting. Mm-hmm. Like we should be filled with shame for who and what we are. Now, his verse was, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And I marveled that he didn't really talk about Jesus in his sermon. He just talked about sheep. Right. Because that's like the whole point of that. The whole point. (laughs) And so I presented how disgusting and stupid sheep are made to seem. And and we are called sheep. So we must be stupid and disgusting. In teachings like that, which I would call abusive teachings. And this man may not have been an abuser. He may have just picked this sermon up on the internet somewhere and thought it would Mm -hmm. save him some time. But 
Then on the other hand, I said, let's see what this scripture was really talking about. Let's see. It was talking about Jesus, obviously. Let's see what Jesus said about sheep and his flock and who he is to his flock. And I go through all of the sheep scriptures, not all of the sheep scriptures, but the ones that Jesus used in the gospels to see the relationship he had with his sheep. And again, just like the prodigal son and the older brother, this is about relationship. Sheep went astray. They left relationship. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all in order to bring us back into relationship. And Jesus, when he just beautiful, beautiful things he said about sheep and about his flock, it all emphasized relationship with him. And one of my favorite scriptures, and I've used it several times in my writing, is when he said to his disciples, fear not, little flock, for it is the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That is just so beautiful. And that shows a shepherd who loves his sheep. And the point about being a shepherd and having a flock is that the sheep hear his voice and they know him and they follow him rather than going astray. Yeah, it's a much more relational approach than it's often presented in these. Yes. I've heard yes. the, I've heard the same thing, the dumb sheep sermon. Like, oh, you know, yeah, all right. dumb sheep are, they're real dumb. Like, <laughs> which means you're being compared to sheep. So that means you're dumb. Like. Exactly. Oh, my word. Exactly. Yeah. And and this, this man went on and on about it. And he spent so much time talking about how disgusting sheep are. Mm -hmm. I don't know. They get into briars and things and who knows? I didn't, I don't remember. <laughs> I tried to shut that out. <laughs> try, to, try to dissociate during that. Sermon. Yeah, I've definitely, definitely heard many iterations of that for sure. So also I would love to hear how you've seen teaching on the, the air on the side of grace. I heard that. I have heard that that abusive church that I worked for, I heard that said so many times where, you know, we want to extend grace, we want to err on the side of the grace. So I would love to see how you've seen that teaching be problematic. Yeah. Well, my understanding is that that term also came from the Sovereign Grace Ministries churches. That was a very, very influential set of churches and church leaders in its heyday. So the teaching is used to say, we want to extend grace. If we're going to make a mistake, we want to make it on the side of grace when it comes to people who have been accused of abuse. Mm -hmm. And when I sent this book out to my early readers, I said, I want feedback on my book to make it a better book. The most emotional response I got was that chapter because the abuse survivors I sent the book to said all the grace was extended to the abuser. None of it yep. was extended to me. Mm -hmm. And I quoted several of them. I end up in my books now that I'm doing that early reader thing. I end up using quite a few quotes from my readers in my book to, to round out the book. But I make the point in there Obviously, if you're going to say you're going to err on the side of anything, you're assuming that it's easy to make a mistake. This isn't biblical, by the way. There's nothing in the Bible about erring on the side of grace. So there aren't any mm -hmm. scriptures to go to. It sounds good, I guess. Scripture yeah. But scripture because it has the word yes. grace in it. 
But I said, really, what they want, what they are saying is they could be either gullible or cynical and gullibility feels more like grace. So if we're going to make a mistake, (laughs) let's make the mistake being deceived by the abuser rather than not, not believing him because that would seem cynical and cynical doesn't seem like grace, but gullible does. Mm-hmm. That was my best analysis. The best I could do with trying to figure out what people mean when they say that. Now you experienced a lot of this. So would you say that seems accurate? Right. Right. I know. And I guess like the way that I saw it, I mean, I literally remember going to coffee with one of the pastors and, and just being like, Hey, <laughs> some of the stuff isn't adding up. Like some, some of the stuff isn't adding up. And he was like, I know, I know, I know the pastor, like he's got some rough edges. He's got, you know, but I believe that grace, you know, grace is important and we need to extend grace and we need the air on the side of grace. And I said, Oh, interesting. It's like, but it seems like all of the grace goes for him and like goes towards him. But then all of us, like, we're not giving that same grace. And he was like, oh, yeah, 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 you're right. And it was all just like, he's just like being diplomatic, like not really like addressing anything that's actually happening here. And it was just like, all of the graces for this abusive pastor and anyone else is not getting the same thing. So I am big on what words mean. And some language that people use, I am very, very opposed to because of what the actual words mean, Mm -hmm. because I'll go to them and say, do you not understand? (laughs) Anyway, that's off track. So this word is grace. So I think instead of just arguing one person's getting grace and another person's not, I think, what are you even talking about? What do you mean when you use the word grace? And then I go to the scriptures to see what grace is and talk about, I give it a definition, my best definition from according to the way I see it used in the Bible. And it isn't this, this Mm -hmm. isn't it. We want to give him our gullibility. Let's say that we want to believe him even when things don't add up. Let's say that because we're gullible. Well, I I address loyalty in book number two, I think I have a chapter on loyalty. And, and I say loyalty is not a Christian virtue mm-hmm. and it's nowhere in the Bible, but that's a little bit of a sidetrack. So I do try to take this expression apart. Don't err on the side of grace, or I mean, let's err on the side of grace and show what people really mean when they say it and how it doesn't have anything to do with the scriptures, even though it can sound all warm and fuzzy. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a nice thing. And one one distinction I make is giving the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a better term. Let's give the benefit of the doubt. Then you, you, the the person presenting a case can say, wait a minute, give me, how about giving me the benefit of the doubt? Why does all the benefit of the doubt go to that person? Mm -hmm. Because I've got doubt about these things. Give Mm -hmm. me the benefit of the doubt Mm -hmm. because these things are not adding up, as you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a better phrasing than, and then also is that being given to everyone? Also, yeah. one of the points I make is like, let's say a husband gets home late from work and he says, oh, the traffic was terrible. Well, if there aren't any other pieces of evidence 
leading to suspicion, then the wife is doing right by giving him the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. Once things, other pieces start coming in to say things aren't adding up, then that then it's time to actually bring the doubt forward and say, mm-hmm. let's address this. Right, right. And yeah, and and when there is a pattern, it's no longer doubt, there's evidence. <laughs> so yeah. Well, there could there can still be like like doubt as to what all this really means, mm-hmm. but then that would lead to an investigation mm-hmm. into what all this really means. Whereas people who don't want to do an investigation or trying to give the benefit of the doubt, just use this mm-hmm. word grace to indicate that, to try to put a biblical veneer over it when it is mm-hmm. not, what they're doing is not biblical at all. Right. So I didn't plan on asking you about this, but you brought it up at the beginning and I have heard your definition on a different podcast. I think it was maybe Julie Roy's podcast about your definition of bitterness and like where what you think that actually means oh bitterness that's the one i talk about in book one so i mentioned yes. that a little bit at the yeah beginning. so we're, we're veering off the book but yes all right <laughs> you that's mentioned it at the beginning and i'm like oh people are gonna want me to follow up on that one so i'm gonna ask this. <laughs> so bitterness yes when i went to study it i did not know what i was going to come up with but i did feel pretty doggone certain that it wasn't the way it was being used so in studying all the uses of the word bitterness, and I've got several chapters on it, so I can't really. You said book it, one. Yes, I can't really do it justice in I have three chap three chapters on bitterness out of six, so almost half the book is mm-hmm. about bitterness. But the vast majority of the time, the Hebrew word is poison or poison having to do with poison, and the Greek word same having to do with poison. So the vast majority of the time the word bitter or bitterness has to do with grief. It's what has happened to the soul because of something. And one of the most readily available examples would be after Peter denied Jesus, he went out and wept bitterly. Now, he wasn't in sin when Mm -hmm. he wept bitterly. He was grieving. And in that case, he was grieving his own sin. In other cases, People talk about being bitter because Saul's parents were bitter because that he married foreign wives. And so that was going astray from the Lord's will. So they were grieving over that. Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law in the book of Ruth, has been preached against because she was bitter. Yep. But she had just lost her, her husband and two sons. So she was grieving. Mm-hmm. She was actually grieving. That's why she said, call me Mara, which means bitter. So anyway, I make the case that the vast majority of the time, bitterness means grief or has to do with grief. There are, I think it's six, six scriptures that use the word bitter in a way that is obviously negative and bad and sinful. Mm -hmm. And so I went through every single one of those scriptures to talk about them. And when there are only six, you can do that. And it does still have to do with poison but it is the infliction of poison rather than the receiving of poison. Ah, People can read that book and they can also watch my bitterness video on YouTube. I spoke at a conference in 2019 about bitterness and that talk was put up on YouTube. It's called Rethinking Bitterness. If you search my name with Rethinking mm-hmm. Bitterness, then- I'll put it in the show notes. 
Yes, then you'll find that. And that will give much more explanation to what I just gave you. All right, cool. Yeah, I will find that video and make sure that it gets in the show notes. We are coming up on time. Thank you so much for your time. I like to end interviews by asking the question, what is a, a book, a movie, a TV show, or a song or any form of art? You can just pick one that is meaningful to you right now. A few years ago, my, my, my daughter was singing on the streets, busking to help pay her way through Bible school. And one of the songs she would sing was Josh Garrell's song, Rise. Rise. And that song, I liked the way she sang it better than the way Josh Garrell sings it because he sounds like he's half asleep. But, <laughs> but that song, I said, this is my theme song because it speaks about what what we want to do as the as people of God who understand what's actually going on in the church there's much evil in the church that that we can rise and we have to go into the heart of darkness to set them free and that we want to do that so that's the song i would recommend or song i i put forth as my current theme song Current theme song. I love it. I love it. Um, Can't wait to check that out. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uncertain is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden, a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider making a donation by visiting tearsofeden.org slash support. All donations are tax deductible. Intro music featured in this episode is from the band Green Ashes. Before you go, please take a moment to like, subscribe, or leave a review, and don't forget to share this podcast show with everyone you know. I'm Katherine Spearing, and I'll see you next time.